Thank you very much, Doug, indeed. What a beautiful song reminding us of the sufficiency and authority of God's Word, that when we lack the ability to come up with thoughts on our own, God's Word is there to remind us of His faithfulness and His truthfulness. As we come this morning, we are coming to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-15 through 15, once again, and we are looking at part 2 of the roles and responsibilities in worship, the roles and responsibilities specifically for men and women within the worship service. As the Apostle Paul is laying out the order and structure of the New Testament church, and that indeed is what he is doing. If you look there in verse three, chapter 3, verse 15 of 1 Timothy, he says, I write so that you will, not, will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. He now is turning to the work and the the work of the male and female Christian within the worship service of the living God. As we saw last week, he begins with a very countercultural command by addressing and authorizing the men within the local church to be the leaders, especially within the realm of prayer. He then turns his attention to the women with words of wisdom for their part in the service. But the primary issues of importance, as we saw last week, and we we'll see again this week is this for both men and women engaged in the worship service of the living God to live holy godly and consecrated lives that testify to the transformative nature of the gospel in you and me the point of our uh, of this passage is to show and to tell us that indeed men and women who are participating who are engaged in the worship of the living God are to live lives that are holy godly and consecrated to the Lord and not to man We're to show that we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and made a child of the Most High. Now, once again, as I said last week, indeed, being a a pastor or a preacher is a little bit like being a reporter, especially a weather reporter. Because you have to tell what's coming, whether people like it or not. And you have to simply say what you have been told to say. And as we come today... I want you to understand I didn't write the Bible. God never consulted me in the writing of the Bible. I never got brought into the process at all. I just try to read the Bible in context and faithfully report what it says. But sometimes people get upset because they don't like the report. Or perhaps the report differs from what they think. And understand, there is room within Christianity for us to disagree on certain issues and aspects. That's okay. We can disagree and still be Christians. But understand this. We are to, with our whole heart, try to engage the Scripture that God has given us and through the Scripture and sound reason come to apply it within our life and practice. If many of us wrote the script for our church, uh, for the church, our personal preferences and practices, might be tempted to change the message. But understand this, being a Christian means obeying divine doctrine revealed in Scripture, not changing the message to be more compatible with our culture and our times. 
being a Christian does not mean that we are to change the message so that we might be more compatible with our culture and with our times. But being a Christian means that we are to obey God's divine doctrine that he has revealed in Scripture. So my task today is to tell you what God's Word says about this this, uh, sensitive but significant topic of roles and responsibilities within the worship service of the living God. Now, I want to be up front as we come to this. I have read the arguments on both sides of the issue that we are going to cover today. I have read expressly all kinds of different arguments for it. And I must uh, let you know up front that I have read the evangelical feminists, the egalitarians, and I wish I could be convinced by their argument. I wish I could. Because you know what? It would make it a lot easier on me. In fact, just to be honest with you, There is a point in life where I am tempted to go with the flow and just go down the stream with everybody else and throw my hands in there and say, what does it really matter anyway? There is a real temptation that comes, especially to a young pastor within a congregation where most of our congregation are ladies who are older than me. I must be honest about that. But understand this. Just because the, the teaching, clear teaching of the Bible seems to be, and I use the word seems to be culturally offensive, does not mean that I can throw in my lot. Now understand, I like women, especially this one sitting right down here. I'm not threatened by women in any way. I don't even have a problem with women being within, with the idea of women being within the leadership of the local church, except that I can't escape what to me is a plain teaching of Scripture that prohibits women from teaching and exercising authority over adult men within the corporate life of the church. The point of this passage is not to exalt one sex over the other. It is not to enslave one sex to the other, as some evangelical feminists, egalitarians have argued. Indeed, as some who have rightly interpreted the scripture have used to do in the past. Let us be honest. There has been misuse and abuse of this text within scripture to seek to enslave women. Let us be honest with that. But that does not give us cause or warrant to throw out the entire teaching. As we come to this passage, remember that the principles we have seen are ultimately concerned with what? The presentation of the eternal gospel and not the external presentation of of ourselves. And so the point of this passage is to show that men and women are complementary to one another within the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. Let me say that just one more time. Men and women are complementary in nature in the same way that the triune God is complementary to one another and that marriage is designed by the divine himself to be complementary between men and women. Men and women within the church are complementary in nature, in the nature of the gospel ministry to one another. We are equal yet different. We are equal yet distinct in the roles and responsibilities given us within the corporate worship 
of the living God. Now let us take for ourselves the Bible as our text and let us study from there and let us stand in honor of the reading of this, God's holy and inerrant and inspired word. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, we begin to see the roles and responsibilities of men and women in the worship service of God as follows. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, uh, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-constraint, self-restraint. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Father, we come to you now and ask for your Holy Spirit, to come and illumine this, your inspired text of Scripture. We ask, Father, that in the midst of this time, our hearts would be open, our minds would be receptive. Father, that we would seek to engage all of who we are in the study of your Scripture. And, Father, that we would not cut it off or turn it off. But, Father, we would seek to come to rightly understand your revelation and to apply it within the course of our daily lives. Father, we ask now that you would lead us in this time and, Father, guide us as we come to study the word of the Lord. Father, it is our request, as always, that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see within this passage that the worship of God is to be composed of men and women that live consecrated lives and are known for their holiness and godliness. Well, it sounds like a a lot like the central truth of the sermon that you shared with us last Sunday, Pastor. That's right, because it is. We're studying the same passage of Scripture. Guess what? It's still the same truth that is being revealed within this passage of Scripture. That men and women who are participating within the worship of the living God are to have consecrated lives that reflect holiness and godliness in our action. And so as we come today, we need to understand that. Now, secondly, I need to say, and you're going to find this message is going to be filled with caveats. We need to say, you're going to hear me over and over. Now, before we go into this, we need to stop for just a moment and get a few things straight. Just get ready. It's going to take a while, but understand that we need to make some very important and understand some very important principles as we go into the scripture. Now, first of all, we need to understand who Paul is talking to. Who is Paul talking to and specifically in verses 11 through or verses 9 through 15? I, I've got a clue. It's about the third word in women, right? Women. Who was he talking about in verse 8? Men. So this is the roles and responsibilities of men. And 
where were the men in verse 8? In every place, right? So we understand there is a, this is not just a cultural context. This is not just to the Ephesian church locally. Men in every place are to devote themselves to these things. And in verse 9 he says, and likewise the women. Now by inference of verse 8 and the context of verse 8, who, where are these women? Where? Everywhere. This isn't just for the Ephesian church. This is women everywhere. And so we need to understand that and draw that out. Uh, that is a very important. But, I, you know, you're probably sitting there going, what's the point? You'll see the point in just a few minutes, I promise you. Now, secondly, we need to understand that many Christians differ in the application of this passage today. Some believe that instructions are applicable and intended only for the first century church, only for the culture and time of the Ephesian church, which Paul was writing to. And yet it comes within a section that is seen as applicable to all churches at all times. And we need to understand that. So others, uh, like myself, sense a more universal theme, and application. In attempting to draw out meaning from these verses, though, it is very wise to proceed with care, caution, and grace. And not to beat one another about the head with these issues. We need to balance Paul's instructions here with other passages of Scripture where Jesus, Paul, and others esteem the value and the roles and responsibilities of women within gospel ministry. We are never to use this to beat down one sex because we are exemplifying the other sex. Understand that. There is no place for that within the church. Jesus, Paul, and the other apostles testified to the usefulness, the goodness of women in gospel ministry, forwarding the ministry throughout their time. So we need to understand that and we need to rightly understand what is being said so that we can guard ourselves from two errors. These are two errors that are specifically similar to the two errors we guarded ourselves against last week. But first of all, we need to guard ourselves against overstepping the commands and making ourselves abusers of the the text and therefore becoming abusers or misusers of women. Clear enough? We need to guard ourselves against overstepping the text and making ourselves exalted and therefore making women somehow inferior to males. As we'll see, that's not what the text is teaching. But we need to guard ourselves against overstepping those commands. Secondly, we need to guard ourselves against undercutting the principles and removing the authority and sufficiency of of Holy Scripture. In other words, we need to guard ourselves from saying, well, it's just Paul and it's not Jesus, and so I'm throwing it out. Well, listen, I want you to understand, when Paul, who is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks, he is speaking with the authority and sufficiency of the Holy Spirit inspiring his words. The Word of God is what? God breathed. God breathed. And so when Paul speaks, we need to understand he speaks under the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit according to the commandment of God. That's what he's saying in chapter 1, verse 1, when he says, I am an apostle. How? By the commandment of God, our Savior. So when 
Paul speaks, listen, and this is hard to understand, but you need to rightly understand it. If all Scripture is Theonustos, God-breathed, and it is given under the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when Paul speaks in 1 Timothy, it is just as authoritative and just as sufficient as the words of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't like that. Well, that's okay. I want you to understand. We need to make these ties. What has Paul said? But we need to also ask the question, what is Paul saying in verses 11 through 15? Well, last week we summed up that passage by saying uh, verses 9 and 10 were about the attire of the Christian woman, that it was not to be sensual and showy, but it was to be what? Godliness and good works. That which, which adorned her. Now this week we come not to the attire, but now we come in verses 11 through 15 to the proper attitude of Christian women in the corporate worship of the church. And this is what? Submission and not assertiveness. Submission and not assertiveness. Well, pastor, that's not popular. I don't like that. Okay, just follow the text and let's see if we can reason it out together. Let's start there in verse 11 by seeing that the Christian woman is to be receptive and respectful in their discipleship in the church. Verse 11, it says what? A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissive. Uh, entire submissiveness but i do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet now as we approach this issue let me spell out a few more things first of all both men and women were created with the image of god upon them we were created in the image of god and therefore we uh, we actually are uh, carriers of the Imago Dei, the image of God. Now, let me ask you, did I say just men are image of God? Did I say just women are image of God? Men and women are made in the image of God. In essence and eternal value, men, therefore, are not in any way superior to women. What did I just say? Men are not in any way what? superior to women that is not what is being said in galatians chapter 3 verses 27 and 28 we find that in fact god extends salvation to the man and woman indiscriminate of whether they are male or female that is a salvation argument that is not a role and responsibility argument within the church And so you need to understand when he says there is no Greek or Jew, no male or female, what's he saying? That salvation comes to each individual human. Whether they are male or female, Greek or or, uh, Jew, slave or free, matters not. Salvation is of God. And therefore we understand God has purchased and applied salvation equally to both the man and the woman. And yet scripture is replete with the fact that though equal in every way, in, in every essence and in value, men and women are different and distinct in the roles and responsibilities which they carry within the home and within the church. Where do you get that from, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Here we see the layout of marriage in the Christian home. Indeed, we understand that there is no distinction between essence or intrinsic value between men and women, right? Yes, 
Yes, no difference in intrinsic value or essence. But listen, there is a distinction in roles. Wives, submit to your own husbands in verse 22 of chapter 5 of Ephesians as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Are there distinct roles and responsibilities within the Christian home? Yes. Are there... Is there any difference between the value or the core essence of a male or female? No. We must get this right. In this way, our different and distinct roles are part of the divine design. And they are helpful in our homes, in our churches, and in our communities as they reflect the triune God. Listen, I want you to understand this. When the word submission is used, there is no implication of inferiority within that relationship. When the word submission is used in Scripture, there is no implication of inferiority within that relationship. Well, why do you say that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked, because once again, we're going down another road. This model reflects the triune nature of God. The Son of God does what to the Father? He submits to the Father, and the Spirit submits to the Father and to the Son. And so we believe, based on the authority of Scripture, in a triune God. And how does this triune God come to be explained? As this, one true and living God, indivisible and infinite in essence, that exists co-eternally and co-equally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Would you ever for a moment in your life say that God the Father is superior to God the Son or God the Holy Spirit? Say no. Right answer. Good. Because it would be heresy and blasphemy to do so. So there is no inferiority that is implied within the passage by saying, Men, you are to submit to the Lord. Women, you are to submit to the men. Indeed, if submission is somehow equated to value or essence, Our understanding of the triune nature of God revealed in the Bible is at least undermined, if not completely obliterated. You're overstating the case. I am not overstating the case at all. We lose the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are one, indivisible, and infinite in essence, and yet co-eternal and coexistence in the form of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have compromised the entirety of the Word of God. We need to understand that. So, that was my caveat to point number one. Let's look at the text. We've been far too long without getting to the text. Let us first start with Paul's clear command for women to receive instruction. What was his command? to receive instruction for them to learn within the church. For a moment, I want you to just block out those other four things that are there. 
quietness and full submission and uh, not exercising authority, not teaching. I want you to just look at the command of Paul here for the ladies in the church to learn and to receive sound biblical instruction. For us, we tend to gloss over this, but this was a radical command in Paul's day. Paul is affirming exactly what we saw within Jesus' ministry, that women were active participants in the gospel. They were disciples. That is amazing. Martha, Martha, why in the world are you upset about Mary sitting at my feet? She's chosen the better thing. She's not to be off just taking care of all the little tasks around. She is learning, learning from the master. And his disciples, Jesus' pattern was for women to be his disciples. But indeed, even within that, we see 12 men set apart to be teachers who are exercising authority over that group. Paul is simply saying in verse 11, that's exactly how I want it to be in the church. Just like Jesus ordained it. Women are to learn. Women are to be diligent disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, was that an issue? course it was because the priest the rabbis of paul's day every morning according to the talmudic liturgy would have gotten up and said lord i thank you that i am not a gentile a slave or a woman that was their view of women if you've got letters to write send them to the local rabbi don't write them to me that's what they teach They say there's also a line in the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, that says men are to come to the synagogue to learn, but women are to come what? Women may come to hear. They weren't supposed to be engaged. And Paul Paul following Jesus' model has turned all that on its head. And women were not included in those discipleships of the rabbinic circles. But in Christian circles, Christ had made women disciples, participants, fellow partakers of the grace and glory. And fellow participants in transferring that message and fulfilling the great commission. Paul is affirming this fact. Women are to receive instruction in quietness and submission. But they are are to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are not to be left to the side and ignored. We don't get that when we read that passage just on our own, do we? But that's what it's saying. Now the the words here we want to go through quickly are translated, first of all, quietly. Quietly. This does not mean absolute silence, but rather inner tranquility or peacefulness of attitude. Quietness is, the same, is a similar word uh, to what we find in chapter 2, verse 2, where indeed it says uh, that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Indeed, women are not to be agitators. They are not to be rebel rousers in the church. Secondly, submissive is a military word, which many of you will immediately understand, meaning under in rank, that you are under another in rank, a lieutenant and a sergeant are equal in personhood they are equal in value right depends on who you ask i mean they're equal in personhood but understand this they are different in rank and so the roles and responsibilities assigned to them are different within that context 
Indeed, even so, women are to put themselves in rank under men in church leadership. This is a willing, voluntary submission, not implying in any way inferiority. It is simply implying that there is an order and structure which is to be followed. And the willingness to follow it. Paul adds in the words in entire adds the words in entire submissiveness to show that it is more than just a mere external obedience. Well, I guess I'll be quiet. I guess I'll be submissive. Well, no, it's an internal, an internal respect that is included. The implied object of their submission, quite frankly, is very clear, especially as you read on into chapter 3. It is the elders and overseers within the context of the local church who are teaching the sound doctrine. So they are to be disciples. They are to be taught in every way. But that is not usually the most controversial issue. Verse 12 is, when verse 12, Paul comes back and says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Paul shows here the negative side of the lack of quietness, the lack of peace, the lack of submission within the life of a woman in the church. He plainly states a prohibition against women's authoritative teaching of the word and exercising authority in the church over adult males. The word translated exercise authority is used only here within the New Testament. And quite frankly, it has that nuance of usurping authority that they are coming in and taking over and domineering in some way. Indeed, apparently some of the Ephesian women had taken a seminar on assertiveness training and now they were applying it by teaching even the men within the local worship service of the congregation. Paul is God's pattern of authority and uh, Paul is is prohibiting this since he shows in verses 13 through 14 this is not the order of creation and we'll come back to that in a minute but it violates God's pattern of authority and submission as pictured in the creation and the fall now I want to warn you young gentlemen who are in college and you want to say I'm an adult male and uh, I don't want to go to math class tomorrow because this passage says women are not to be exercising authority or teaching males. Let me give you a warning. In the church, go to class. This in no way limits you or says that women are not qualified from participating or even being a major integral part of teaching and passing on knowledge and being having a career and having being a major part within the culture. Listen, this is not concerning those outside. This is concerning the life and the worship of those within the local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 3, Paul makes it clear that women have a role in praying and training and participating in teaching within the context of the local church. In Titus chapter 2, the women are going to help teach and train other women, and they, there are going to be even some cases in, pri- in private where women with greater scripture knowledge are going to help some men who don't know the Bible as they ought. Indeed, we see this in Priscilla and Aquila instructing Apollos in good, solid Bible teaching when he needs it. Timothy, as he is growing up, is instructed by his mother and grandmother. But understand this, within the congregational aspect of the worship of the living God, there is here a clear statement 
clear statement is, women, you are to participate. You are to take responsibility. But you are not to exercise authority over men or teach men within the context of the local worship service. Indeed, I want to just by way say one caveat here as well. When you see a woman who would come and pray, a woman who would come and give testimony as we have had since I have been here, a woman who would come and share about a ministry that is going on, listen, don't go, ooh, ooh, you preached on First Timothy too. No, she has something important to say, and we are giving her that place to say it, but it is not as an authoritative teacher, as an authority within the local church. I didn't expect to get a whole lot of amens, but understand. That's what. And so don't go, aha, we caught you. No. There is a place and a part and a a position for women within the church. And just like men, women are also the recipients of all of the spiritual gifts at the moment of salvation by the Holy Spirit. But the gifting does not supersede, nor does it suspend the clear teaching of the Bible. Just like all men are not given the role and responsibility of exercising authority as as elders, pastors within the local teaching assembly, so the women are to be learners in the instruction of the church as it gathers for worship. They are to be participating in the disciple making process. Indeed, it would not be good for a man such as myself to sit down with a room full of young ladies, uh, young newlyweds, and explain to them human sexuality, would it? Probably not a good place. Probably a good place for older women to teach the younger women. Indeed, we need to understand. We have roles and responsibilities. All of us to be, are to be disciple makers according to the spiritual gifts that God has given. But we, we are also to be respectful of what the word teaches. And therefore, women are not to be teaching or exercising authority over the local congregation. The Christian woman is to be receptive and respectful in their discipleship in the church. That is the attitude that she should portray. But secondly, and we'll move very quickly through this. In fact, I don't know that we'll get to the third point, but that's okay. I just want to go through at least this. The reason for submission in the church, verses 13 and 14. It was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, Paul's argument for quietness and submission as the attitude uh, to be the attitude for Christian women comes not from culture, it comes from creation. For those that argue that this principle was cultural, cultural and therefore not normative within the context of the church, this region, reason throws a huge theological cog in the wheel of their argument. Paul does not argue from Ephesian culture. He doesn't argue from Greek culture. He doesn't argue even from Jewish culture. He argues from the testimony of the Old Testament in creation. And his argument is always based on the enduring truthfulness of God's word when he raises this argument for male headship in the local assembly. First of all, Paul says in verse 13 that men are to be teachers in the church because Adam was primary or was preceded Eve in creation. Now, secularists and pagans mock this. 
what does it matter? We all came out of primordial sludge anyway. Actually, Paul says, no, we didn't. Uh, Adam was created first, and then Eve was created. Actually, theological, uh, theistic uh, evolution is not a point here because you need to understand the text of Scripture denies that. You need to hold to creation. And here's a very important reason, because it has application in theological matters. Uh, Paul thinks this matters a great deal. He doesn't believe the story of creation of Adam and Eve is a myth. He believes that there was something to, of great significance that God was saying about the nature of the created order and the relationships between male and female in the fact that Adam was created first. In other words, Adam's priority in creation expresses a complementary relationship between man and women, first in marriage and second in the church. A complementary relationship. When we use that term submission, it means that there is a complementary relationship between those who are working together. Indeed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see that there is submission, and that is a complementary relationship. When marriage is described as wives submit to your husbands, husbands submit to the authority of Christ himself, listen, that is a complementary relationship. When we see here in the church women submit to the authority of male leadership, that is a complementary relationship. That's what Paul's arguing. He's pointing out the fact that Adam's primacy in creation, uh, pointing out Adam's primacy in creation, and he's saying that reveals an enduring truth about the structure of the family and the church that God desires to be reflected and respected in every situation and in every culture. Secondly, in verse 14, he speaks of the deception of the woman in the fall. Now, understand, Paul isn't putting the blame on Eve here, and he isn't, he isn't letting Adam off the hook as if he's not guilty. So, husbands, don't be poking your wives and say, I, I told you he was going to blame you for sin. There are a lot of, lot of jokes I can make, but uh, giving my, given my joke from last week about the uh, fresh pain on the old barn, I'll leave those alone for now. Indeed, we need to understand, because of the order of creation, Adam is responsible as the head of the family unit. In fact, Romans testifies to this. Paul testifies, through Adam, sin came into the world, death came into the world, to reign and to rule over mortal men. But through Jesus Christ, now redemption has come. And so... Paul says it was Adam's role and responsibility to lead his household, and he obfuscated it. And so Paul is not implying in any way that women are more constitutionally prone to deception than men, for the Bible is clear. All of us are deceived by sin and false doctrine. What Paul's getting at is that God had divinely designed roles and responsibilities in creation. Men, you are to primarily lead. You are to exercise under my commands the responsibilities I have given to you. Ladies, you are to be a helpmate to your husband. You are to be a complementary portion to the giftings that I have given to you. And so, as we come, we need to understand that in this passage, Adam never stepped in. He let his wife do what he should have done, lead. And as such, Paul is saying, this is what happens 
also within the church when men fail to take their responsibility and women have to step up to the plate and try to pick up what the men have dropped to the floor. Problems occur. Now listen, there are many examples in Christian history where women have done a great job where men have been absent from standing faithfully to preach and to teach and to lead within the local congregation. But understand clearly from the words of Scripture, that is the exception and not the rule. Exception and not the rule. An absence of godly men with clean hands and pure hearts to proclaim the truth of God's word will always cause confusion and chaos within the home and within the Christian church because of the divine design of complementary relationships that are to be present within the ministry of the gospel. Men are to be protectors and providers, overseers, and indeed the women are to be encouragers and helpers and to come alongside in the midst of that time. So Paul is giving the reason for Christian women to be submissive in the church because this role reversal from the divine design brought awful consequences on the human race and therefore it should not be repeated within the church of Jesus Christ. And it is very important that we see that Paul does not argue a cultural mandate. He argues from where? Creation. We need to understand roles and responsibilities. But finally, So we see the reason of submission. Finally, very quickly, we'll close with the reward of submission in the church. The reward of submission. I wish I had time to go through the five different explanations of this verse and more that I could have come to you with. But let me just simply say this. Women will be saved spiritually if their lives show the fruit of saving faith. In other words, if they namely have demonstrated a submission to God and to his authority and to his order as evidenced by them respecting the roles that he has and responsibilities he has given to them. This doesn't mean that a woman somehow earns salvation by bearing children. Indeed, many throughout the course of church history have beat the drum of having wives who are barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And this is utter, utter lack of study on their part. Women are not saved by bearing children. Rather, it looks to the future aspect of salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But genuine saving faith always results in a life of good works and godliness. Indeed, it always develops godly character. The hope of future salvation should motivate us now to live lives of godliness and good deeds in spite of the hardships, in spite of the hard teachings within the course of Scripture. Paul mentions childbirth childbirth to tie in the earlier reference to the fall in spite of Eve's sin and the curse that came, the increased pain in childbirth, women who hope in God and his salvation will submit to their God-given roles and responsibilities in the church and in their home. And evidence of their salvation is their perseverance in faith, love, sanctity, and self-restraint. This Paul now comes full circle. He comes full circle to say, listen women, your conduct in the church should be marked by godliness and submission. Men, your conduct in the church is to be marked by holiness. Clean hands and a pure heart as you lead out within the church, as we'll see in the coming weeks in the areas of elders and deacons. But women, you 
are to come. And you are to be adorned by godliness and good works. And testifying that God has changed and transformed your heart. And that you are willing to submit. Willing to submit. Not forced to submit. Willing to submit even to the authorities that God has given within the home and within the local church. Together, these things will fulfill what we saw there in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does a light, uh, nor does anyone light a lamp and, st- and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen, as the culture that is in chaos, looks into the church of the living God. They should see our gracious and grace-filled lives so that they might then come to know and glorify our Father who is in heaven. When you live here today, it matters what you do. Men, it matters about your holiness. It matters about your godliness and your good works. Ladies, when you leave here today, it matters how you interact with your husband and with church leadership. It matters how you carry yourself. Listen, don't adorn yourself with the external, but with eternal things of value. Check your attitude towards Scripture first. Am I defiant or compliant to the Word of God? Second of all, check your attitude towards the opposite sex. Do I see it as a competition, competitive, or do I see it as complementary? Thirdly, check your attitude toward the home. Is it a burden or is it a blessing? God says, listen, I have divinely designed you in my image so that you might know me, so that you might look to me, and in those moments where you are unable to save yourself, I will save you. And if you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, then you are to be conformed to the image of God. And He conforms us through the revelation He gives in His holy and inspired Word. Father, as we come today, it is hard to...